Hi, I'm Chelsea. And I'm Taryn. And this is Checked Out No Redo. Hi, Chelsea. Oh, hey, Taryn. I miss you already. I miss you too. So, update for people. So, Chelsea and I spent... I went and visited her last weekend, even when, like, when this comes out, it'll be, like, a week. Oh, it'll be a week. Yeah, it was That's Memorial so Day weekend that you came out. Yeah, so I went up to Utah <laughs> for four days. We were planning on recording, like, multiple episodes and doing all of these things, and we didn't do practically anything productive nothing. the entire we weekend. Quite, so we literally did nothing productive. So we were going to do, like, a live, like, oh, we're together episode, and then... Nope. In true Taryn and Chelsea fashion, that is not what actually happened. But we ate a lot of yummy food. <laughs> we did eat a lot of really good food. Um, we we were reading um, A Court of Mist and Fury out loud to each other, which was really fun. Only because, because Chelsea it was already the read beginning it. and not the yeah, end. Yeah, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't read uh, special scenes together. That's not something. We are close, but that is not anything that we will ever do together <laughs> yeah that, that's that's a level of friendship that i'm just we're not quite on yet no and i don't think we'll ever be there and that's okay then we're fine we're with that. okay so the book that we're going to talk about today has nothing to do with sex or fairies <laughs> or anything magical <laughs> oh really quick before we get into this um this is a shout out to novel bound podcast we want to be your friends um i we messaged so them. funny i think you're so cool we i've been trying to follow a lot of book accounts because i just want to i like so badly want to be a part of the bookstagram society or community that's all i want and so chelsea had already followed them but i started following them and everything they posted i thought was so funny and so cute they have um merch that they're selling this week it comes Dude. out in a few days I'm going to spend my entire paycheck on that. I'm so yeah. excited. <laughs> so look out for them. It's I'm pretty sure their Instagram handle is just Novel Bound Podcast. Is that what it is? Probably. Where's your phone? Pull it up. It's right next to me. I'll pull it up. I was literally okay. just looking at them like right before. But it's Celine and Anna and they're super fun and they were so nice and they posted, um, they shared our account on their stories this week, which was like the coolest thing to ever happen to us in our entire lives. I mean, seriously, I was geeking out, but, like, no one in my family is a part of this to, for me to, like, they don't appreciate it, so I'm like, guys, this other account shared our podcast, and everyone's like, okay, that's cool. I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. I don't think you understand. <laughs> this novel is so pod- important. Okay. Yeah, it's Novel Bound Podcast. I'm like, okay, Novel Bound I, Podcast, Celine and Anna, I want super cute, go buy all their friends. merch. Yes, so and, okay, here's our pitch. So I'm 24, Chelsea's 24, right? Yes. Yeah. You guys are both 25, so we're only like a year apart, okay? Chelsea and I don't even live in the same state. You guys don't live in the same state, so I feel like we can have a distance, uh, long-distance friendship, and I think it could work. It could absolutely work. So I'm there's our for pitch it. for our friendships. Yeah. We like books. <laughs> we think we're really funny, and that's it. That's I don't it. know if we we're selling really ourselves really well. <laughs> I don't know that we have much else to offer at this point, but yeah, Taryn's super funny, and I laugh at everyone's jokes. <laughs> so. We're really supportive. <laughs> okay. So go listen to them. They're really cool. Um, Our book that we are talking about today, I have lots of feelings about, as Chelsea knows. Absolutely. Um, a sad story from going up and seeing Chelsea on my flight up. I forgot how air pressure worked when you go up into a plane because science and my water bottle, I was reading a court of mist and fury and I had the Anthropocene, the Anthropocene reviewed in my backpack and my water bottle exploded all over it. And now the back cover is all bent and weird, but like, it's definitely still readable. (sighs) But it was very sad. But luckily, I took my dust jacket off beforehand. So my book is still good. But anyway, that was off topic. You can edit that out. Slap Um, slap a little band-aid on that thing. Yeah. It's fine. So this week, we are going to be discussing the book The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. I loved it. I'm just straight off the bat. 
I love I love John Green. I love Hank Green. I love them as humans. Um, and I loved the Anthropocene reviewed. It made me feel more things than it should have. Yeah, I would agree with that. I wasn't anticipating getting as emotionally invested in this as I did. <laughs> yes, one thousand percent. I cried in multiple of the essays. Oh, I did too. Absolutely. I don't know if that really is like means anything because I cry at sad commercials. But I just, and I'm really, we can talk about this more later, but I have a really hard time reading books and finding quotes that I like while I am reading. I feel like I have to read something a couple of times for like the significance to set in for me. But there were so many times in this book as I was reading that I had to pause and write something down because I'm like, that was amazing or that was so beautifully written. And I'm not, I don't naturally do that when I'm reading. So that's something that stood out for me was just, I love, I love how John Green writes. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, from my end, I've never read anything by John or Hank Green. In general, nonfiction or like contemporary is not typically my jam. Um, That's true. You don't read a lot of contemporary at all. No, honestly, I, I don't know the last time that I like willingly (laughs) read a contemporary book that wasn't for like a book club or something um so I was a little hesitant when Taryn picked this book not gonna lie I was like I don't know I'll read it it's for the podcast whatever and I low-key loved it like it it was amazing I'm probably gonna go buy a hard copy because I listened to the audiobook which is narrated by John Green and I freaking love him I I love, I love him so much. So here's my, here's my backstory. Um, I've been listening to, so, okay, never mind. Let's restart, re-restart. <laughs> John Green and his brother, Hank Green, have done many, many projects together over the last few years. If you've ever heard of VidCon, which is a conference for, like, YouTubers, they started that. Um, they have podcasts, they have, they do crash course videos if you are, around our age and took a history or science class you have probably watched one of their videos in (laughs) class i make all of my history kids watch so many john green ones i love the new european history ones but that's whatever they have crash course where they do educational videos um hank also has another youtube show called scishow where they talk about sciencey stuff they do did vlog brothers where they post videos back and forth to each other i believe they did a project called video or sorry uh vlog brothers or no sorry brotherhood 2.0 is what it was called and they they did a video back and forth every day so like john would do on monday hank would do on on tuesday if i understand that correctly i've saw i've watched some of them i haven't been able to watch all of them eventually um and then now something that they do regularly every week is called dear hank and john it's a podcast where you can write in questions and they just give dubious advice it originally was a podcast about death is how they <laughs> how they advertised it. And just over the years, it's been so fun to watch it evolve. Um, even at the beginning, you could tell that like their conversations were kind of not as comfortable as they are now, like four or five years later. But I just, uh, that's not even like half of what they've done. That's just the, what they've produced. They also run multiple charities. One of them's... Uh, the world let me pull it up i wrote it down uh foundation to to decrease world suck they do the project for awesome which has to do with that they they just donated i think it was 6.5 million dollars to help build a hospital in sierra leone to help reduce childhood or child and mother mortality rates and just what i love most about them is there are people who who comment on the world and how things need to change and they and they change things and they actively work towards making the world a better place and I just respect respect the crap out of them for it and I also think they're really really funny and their nerdy sense of humor and like John's nasally voice just brings me <laughs> all the joy in the world So on top of all of those things, both of them are also authors. Hank's written two books, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing and A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor is the sequel. I drove, Chelsea, I don't know if you know this, 
I drove by myself from Arizona to California, San Diego. My sister was living there conveniently. I probably would have gone otherwise anyway to go to Hank's book tour. He was not coming to Arizona. That was why I went to California. I drove six hours to go to his. I didn't get to meet him. I just watched him talk for an hour. That was this it. Is, I, this is why yeah. we're friends, Terry. This is why we're friends. Because you'll do that. And I freaking. Yeah. I made my sister come. Shout out to Ashton. Thanks for coming with me. You had She had zero desire to be there. Um, but I got a signed book, so I have a signed copy. He was just so fun. They recorded a live episode of Dear Hank and John with, because sometimes they'll have other people on. And so I can't remember the name of his guest, but she was really cool too. Um, he Hank also has a band. I'm blanking on the name of it. So that's Hank. We're done with Hank. Hank's cool, but today's about John. Um, John has written, his first book was called um, Looking for Alaska, if I'm getting these in order. That came out in 2005. At that point, he was working as a, uh, he was he was working at a review jo- journal, gosh, I can't talk, called Booklist. And that's where he finished Looking for Alaska. Since then, he's written An Abundance of Catherine's, Paper Towns, The Fault in Our Stars, which is one that I think most people know about it because it got yeah. made into a movie with Shailene yeah. Woodley and I'm blanking on what's Ansel Eggert. Ansel, yeah. Good old yeah. Ansel. <laughs> um, so, and then his latest fiction one was Turtles All the Way Down, which I keep telling Chelsea to read. It was... <laughs> amazing and i loved it because john he's suffered from anxiety and ocd and he's had a few health issues grow like throughout his life and he just channels all of that so beautifully and turtles all the way down and i love it because it just it doesn't end like a normal ya fiction novel does like not everything's happy and perfect in the end of the book which i guess none of his books really are fall in our stars people die <laughs> i was but... like yeah i feel like <laughs> But even more so, like, I don't know. I just loved Turtles all the way down. I, like, finished it and then couldn't read anything for, like, a couple weeks. And then his newest book, I'm sorry for the 15-minute rant about John. His newest book is The Anthropocene Reviewed, which is not, like, anything that he's written before. Um, After, he talks about it in the book and in the intro, but he was, he got sick after he finished up um, something. What did he do? What did he say in the beginning? I can't remember. He finished up something and he got sick. Maybe it was after Turtles All the Way Down. Hold I please. don't remember what it was. I know he got sick. I remember that part. <laughs> he got... Because he had, he had to lay in the massage chair for like ever, right? No. Who yeah. was that? What am I thinking about? It wasn't a massage chair. He just had to lay down. Like he had to be laying down for... Forever. A long time. But anyway, he got sick, and at some point he was, like, stuck laying down, and he just started to, like, he had already written a few reviews, but he just started to think about life a little different, and that's what, like, that's ultimately what this book came from. Um, And I just want to read this one part from the intro, and then we can get into, like, what our favorite essays were. So at the end of his intro of, like, explaining what this book is about, He says, it has taken me all my life up to now to fall in love with the world, but I've started to feel it the last couple of years. To fall in love with the world isn't to ignore or overlook suffering, both human and otherwise. For me, anyway, to fall in love with the world is to look up at the night sky and feel your mind swim before the beauty and the distance of the stars. It is to hold your children while they cry, to watch as the sycamore trees leaf out in June. When my breastbone starts to hurt and my throat tightens and the, and tears well in my eyes, I want to look away from feeling. I want to deflect with irony or anything else that will keep me from feeling directly. We all know how loving ends, but I want to fall in love with the world anyway to let it crack me open. I want to feel what there is to feel while I am here. And I just feel like that's a good, that like sets the tone for this book. And there are some, there are some super funny, um, reviews that he does but ultimately I feel like he's just being so kind and sharing so many of his feelings and views of the world and I I loved mm-hmm. it well it was super interesting because I feel like some of the ones that I expected to be funny were actually super deep and some of the ones that I thought were going to be more deep were quite a bit more humorous than I was anticipating yeah so he he kept me on my toes <laughs> so what was your favorite or one of your favorite essays 
Um, I think my personal favorite was the one on mortification, where he just talks about like the etymology and the origin of the word mortification and how it's connected to death and like the idea of like dying of embarrassment. And then he just tells like some very embarrassing <laughs> stories. And I I loved it. Like his whole thing is like I just I hope that by sharing this like other people will be able to get over their own like fear of embarrassment or embarrassing stories. And I I don't know why, but like that's something that I constantly am anxious about of like putting my foot in my mouth or like saying or doing something stupid. So the idea that someone as cool as him can also have very embarrassing stories, I feel like I felt I felt a connection with him, not in like a creepy weird way, but just in a like there's an aspect of life that we both know and comprehend and understand the same, I guess. But also the story that he tells, the story that he tells of his book reading in, I think it was Looking for Alaska, where only two people showed up. And in the book, he reads the scene. They're like, nothing more, there's nothing more embarrassing than like having no one show up to your birthday party than having like two people show up to your birthday party. <laughs> and there's exactly two people there. <laughs> and there's two people there. I died. I was driving home from work. I was alone in the car. And I like legitimately laughed out loud. I was like, oh, that's. That's pretty bad. That's pretty That's more freaking... people than would show up. That's how we, that's really how we felt like when we started this podcast too, right? We talked so much. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like we kept putting it off because I'm like, it's just gonna be embarrassing to start something that nobody is going to like other than our moms. I mean your mom. I don't even know if my mom's my listened mom. to it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, mom, if you do listen to this, you've never talked to me about it. I was trying really hard not to give my like a shout out to my mom this episode because we have in every other episode. <laughs> so I was trying to be like an adult and pretend like there's more people here. She's which our there most, are. She's our most engaged listener, you know? Yes. She's our number one fan. <laughs> but that's one thing that I've loved about John over the years and Hank too. In their podcasts, is I feel like like while I don't know them, they are famous people that I've never met in real life, and I would n- I will never be able to spend enough time with them to actually consider like that I know them well. But I feel like they are so willing to share their stories. Like you called me and you're like, "Oh yeah, John wore a trench coat." I was like, "Oh, I knew that. He's talked about that all the time on the episode." I'm pretty <laughs> sure he also wore like a little propeller hat for a while too. Hank spent an entire year pretending he had a British accent, and he has a terrible British accent. (laughs) So I just love that they're both willing to share these details that are are they're embarrassing. Like I don't I'm I don't look at them any less because of it. But if that was me telling it, I would be mortified. There we go, mortified, bringing it full circle. Yeah, I just. Yes, finding out that somebody who I consider very, very successful still still feels the same feelings that I do and reacts the same way makes me feel more human and less like a freak. Yeah, if that makes sense. Does that does that make sense? It makes them feel more human, but it also makes me feel more human. Like that's what I was saying. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, then I one hundred percent agree <laughs> with you. <laughs> oh, okay. But what was your favorite essay? So I have two favorites. One is kind of, I guess they're both kind of serious. I loved the Penguins of Madagascar one. Partially because I love the Penguins of Madagascar. Same, same. Um, What's not to love about Dave? The Madagascar movies are um, some of my family's favorite movies to watch. It's hard growing up to find when you have so many siblings to find a movie or even a series of movies that everybody likes. And the Madagascar movies were those movies for us. And so when the Penguins of Madagascar came out, we were very excited. Also, my stepdad's name is Dave. So, <laughs> Dave! We were very excited. Dave! What oh I liked gosh. about what I liked about this one is just his comment on, like, at the beginning of the movie, there's the nature people, documentary people, and they're following the the penguins and then the little baby penguins get to the cliff and it says like these penguins know that if they are that if they were to fall they would surely die and it says like gunter give him a push <laughs> and it just like them off give him a push <laughs> and then he goes on to talk about like these other nature documentaries and that one i can't remember what the little animal was 
oh the lemming that like they dumped a whole yeah. truck of lemmings off of a cliff i, I was, was like, like in my car i'm like what the heck i was like and, humans are the worst sometimes right? what are we doing <laughs> And I don't know if this was, like, the intent of the essay, but it just made me think of, because I can't remember what else he says after that, but not even, like, just this myth of, like, these nature documentaries, but just the myth of so much social media where in that documentary with the penguins, they're going to cut out him saying, push the penguins. And (laughs) in our lives, I feel like so many, so, so often we are on social media seeing other people's lives and it's just the perfect versions of their lives when really there's so much going on behind scenes that they like quote edit out or whatever Mm -hmm. you know what i mean the power of editing this is tangential but so coleman and i my husband coleman (laughs) watched the stupid live action the scooby-doo movies and the second one (laughs) the reporters interviewing fred he's like i'm not gonna talk to you because you're gonna make it like look like i think coolsville sucks and then like edits cuts to like a news clip where it's just him going i think coolsville sucks <laughs> and all the time coleman and i will be talking and whenever one of us like misinterprets or like takes something out of context we'll just like look at each other and like you're gonna make it look like i think coolsville sucks i think so many things today are taken out of context whether it's like people saying specific things or posting pictures I don't know I just that's what I thought about when I read that penguins essay and just Mm -hmm. the lengths that we go to to make people think that we're cool or make people (laughs) think that we are different or special or whatever like I and and on the other side I'm almost like hesitant to do those things because I don't want people to think that I want them to think that I am (laughs) special and fancy like do you know how long it took me to post those two reels I was, like, staring at it for forever. I'm like, are people going to think I'm dumb? Are they going to think I'm trying too hard? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, why does it matter? It doesn't matter. I made two stupid reels about books. What's the worst that's going to happen? I thought they were hilarious. I think they're funny. Because I think I everything I do is funny. Me. I had people message me saying that they were funny, so. Oh, good. I don't know if I copied them from somebody. If I did, Sorry wasn't intentional it was not intentional but everybody does that on on instagram and tiktok yeah everybody copies people's stuff but anyway that was one of my things um my other oh he gave penguins of madagascar four and a half stars why not because that movie's the freaking bomb it's so funny it's like Drew um, <laughs> more power okay <laughs> uh... what was your other favorite I guess I can go um, back to you. My other favorite was the Monopoly one. Mm-hmm. I just appreciated so deeply the irony of the origin of the game Monopoly. Like, the more he talked about it, the more I just, I like wanted to call, okay, because my husband Coleman has a thing about the game Monopoly, so I was very excited for his review, because Coleman has a whole rant that he gives on how every childhood board game, the goal of the game is to end up with the most money or, like, physical possessions. And he's just like, I just don't feel like that's what we should be teaching our children. That the most important thing is to have the most money. He's a whole rant. It's very entertaining. Freaking capitalism. Freaking capitalism. <laughs> um, and so I was very interested to see what he had to say about Monopoly. And then finding out that history of, like, well, actually, the origin of the game was about the corruption of capitalism, but capitalism then corrupted and turned into a game about the glories of capitalism. And I was like, if that's just not the most beautifully ironic thing that you've ever heard, I don't know what you're doing with your life, because I freaking, freaking loved that. It's one of the lowest rated things in the and i forgot to i meant to mark down what like the lowest and the yeah, highest rated thing was but monopoly got one and a half stars <laughs> i just and i agree i loved it i agree completely and i freaking it made me so happy so. i monopoly we you used to have a disney version of monopoly and that was like my favorite to play because i liked all of the all of the disney pictures 
the two highest were 101 Dalmatians and Lion King. I remember that to this day. Um, so we used to play it all the time. And then as we got to be adults, we'd play it with my oldest brother. Shout out to Kenzie, who's probably, hopefully listening to this. Um, it's her husband. He is the worst person to play. I love that you shouted to out play. to his you shout out well, to she has to deal him. with him. No, shout out to Tanner too. I don't think Tanner's listening, but that's okay. Um, he is the worst person to play Monopoly with on the entire planet for two reasons. One, he's stupid good at it. Like, I don't understand how he hacked the game and he wins every time. The only time he's lost when we've played is when we all, as we lost all of our properties and stuff and had to bail out, we gave all of our leftover money or whatever we had right before we were about to lose, we'd quit and like hand it to my youngest brother. And then that was the only time that he, that Tanner lost because we all cheated and ganged up against him. Ganged up on him. And then he's also just really um, cocky about it. <laughs> He'll be playing. He'll be like, oh, that's just how it goes. And we're all like, shut up, Tanner. Sounds we like can't my play older brother it. in the game very risk. often. Yeah. <laughs> My older brother in the game risk, that's us. The only time that he ever loses is when everyone gangs up on him. Yeah. Your brother is very good at all of the games, though. He is so good at them. It's very frustrating. But I did beat him last time we played Risk. Good job. Look Again, everyone ganged up on him, but it's fine because <laughs> I won. <laughs> that's what really matters. That's all that really matters. <laughs> oh, man. Board games. But... I have lots to say about board games. We'll have to, that's not anything yeah, to do with what we're on. talking about. Moving though. on. Moving, moving on. on. So my other favorite, kind of on a more serious note, was the Googling Strangers one. This was a good example of one that I thought would be funny, but it wasn't. Um, this one he talks about how lots of people have skills. His one of his skills happens to be he's really good at Googling people. Um, he still does to this day. If he's going to go to a like a party or some gathering or something, he'll Google the people that are going to be there. Um, and it's wow. funny because I'm sure in some of these parties, he's one of the most Googleable people there. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I like how he still gets he still fangirls over people like famous people that he knows, and it's really funny. Anyway, so in this essay, he talks about. How do I phrase this? He talks about how we like can find information about each other, but the story that he tells, so at a time in his life, he wanted to be a chaplain. So he was going through this like kind of like residency at this hospital where he was like the on-call chaplain there. So he'd go in for shifts and then like when people were sick or wanted prayers or were about to die, like he could read them their last rites and stuff like that and pray with them. So he was in the he was in the emergency room at one point when a a young boy was brought in that was he doesn't explain his injuries but he was not doing well at all like he was very very gonna make it not gonna make it and so he just talks about this almost in like slow motion of they bring this kid in like he's asked to get them scissors that are behind him and it's just there's nothing there's nothing he can do when you see a child that uh, what's the right word i feel like listening to that you could hear the trauma that he yeah like he doesn't he doesn't want to talk about it yeah but when you see a child that i can just say injured but it's more than that like he was so close to death and what are you supposed to do the parents like they're like go talk to the parents do this do this and he's like just standing there like looking at this kid and he let me pull it up so at the end he talks about how like he leaves he eventually like that is one of the reasons why he decided not to like pursue being a chaplain he like says in the book he's like i told people it was because of greek i didn't want to learn greek which is true but ultimately (laughs) like i couldn't accept that like children just die like he's like i can't like I I cannot see that every single day. So at the end, he talks about how he could have Googled that kid. Like years later, he could have Googled the parents. He knew their names. He could have looked up this information about, about this kid to see if he survived, but he didn't want to know. And so the last section, I'm sorry that I'm like reading so much out of this. I love it. I'm here for it. 
Um, at the end, he says, the months of not knowing became years, then more became a decade. And then one morning, not long ago, I typed the kid's name into the search bar. It's an unusual name, easy pickings for Google. I hit enter. The first link was to Facebook. I clicked over and there he was. 18 years old, a decade and a half removed from that, from the one night we spent together. He is alive. He is growing up, finding his way in the world, documenting a life that is more public than he probably realizes. But how can I not be grateful for knowing, even if the only way to know is to lose our autonomy over our so-called selves? He is alive. He likes John Deere tractors and is a member of the Future Farmers of America. And he is alive. Scrolling through his friends, I find his parents' profiles and discover that they are still married. He made a comment about how, like, often with childhood trauma like that, it causes it leads parents to, divorce. to get divorced. Um, he is alive. He likes terrible, overly manufactured country music. He is alive. He calls his girlfriend Bay. Alive. 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 It could have gone the other way, of course, but it didn't. And so I can't help but give the practice of Googling strangers four stars. I just. Wow. I don't. I, I, I was crying in my car when I first listened to that. I, I should have bawled. I, and even hearing him like having the audio book of it, hearing him talk about that. And that, especially that last little bit where he just says he's alive. Like I was crying. I was a mess. I was like. What a freaking blessing Googling strangers is. <laughs> like, And what I took away from that, too, is just one thing that I took away from this book, which I do not know if it was the purpose of the book, is I felt more human. And mm -hmm. I finished that book wanting to be a better human. Yes. That, like, I don't want to passively just live my life and just focus on me. I want, like, I finished it wanting to participate in the human experience and I already do that like I'm a teacher I get to influence hundreds of kids a year and I have an awesome family and I have friends and and I'm trying to make a podcast and like I'm doing all these things but it just I feel like I even as I walk around my day every day I I notice trees and flowers and just happy good things in my life more than I did before I read this book I feel like this book had a lot of heavy topics or some of the essays that were just a little bit deeper than I've ever thought about anything in my life. Um, but I feel like I just would walk away feeling lighter, like feeling happier to be alive, even if the content of that particular essay was sad or heavy. I left feeling like there was like humanity is worth it. And with with how much John has talked about like in the podcast and everything like he makes jokes about death like death is inevitable we're all going to die. And for somebody who has that attitude, you would assume that this book would be like people suck, the world sucks, everything sucks, we're all going to die. But that is that's that's never his point in any of these essays. When even when he's picking apart like he does an essay on CNN not talking about the really actual important things that are going on in the world. And he gives them two and a half stars. And it's just, but the way that he does it, like, it's not like he's like, I hate CNN or CNN, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, we need to be better about communicating with people mm -hmm. and showing the real parts of human lives. And I'm like, great, that's fantastic. Why can't we all communicate like John Green? <laughs> Honestly, I, I can't remember which essay. I think it was in Sunset's. Where he gets to the end, and it's several essays in at this point, and he he just says, he's like, but up to this point, I haven't given anything five stars because I've been raised to think that nothing will ever be good enough. And he's like, you know what? Screw that. Sunsets are five, stars. five stars. And I was like, yeah, yeah. they are. <laughs> I took he a picture gives... of the sunset the other day and sent it to Coleman. Oh, fun. I feel, I have been suggesting this book to everybody. One of, like, my... Uh, religious leaders I gave it I, I told him to order it I've just like 
everybody that I can talk to, even Chelsea, like that's why I originally mm-hmm. suggested doing this because I'm like, I know you're not going to think you're going to like it. <laughs> but this book, having listened to, so the Anthropocene Reviewed started out as a podcast. I don't know if I've already said that. And then after he started doing those essays, that's when he started writing it out and actually making it into a book. And so I was listening to his other ones. His first one was like Haley's Comet and he tells a story about sitting with his dad on a bench that they made. And it's just, I love it so much. I lost my, I lost my train of thought because I got, I got way too passionate. Very good. (laughs) I should have gone through. So another really just like side tidbit before we decided that we were going to rate things um, or review things on a five-star scale based off of. Very um, excited. And I don't even know if we already said this. I, I I was way too excited at the beginning of this. Each of these essays, he rates things on a five-star scale. <laughs> we never said like, that Yeah, I don't know beginning. if we actually set up the structure of this book. I got way too excited. <laughs> it's a series of essays anonymously published, defending, defending the document to the public. To the public. <laughs> no one will read it. Do you guys know how many times <laughs> that Chelsea and I have been like either in person or on the phone, and we whenever we say... A, a series of essays we finish the entire hamilton song the entire song every single time it's a problem it's actually taking a lot of self-control not to finish it right <laughs> now right <laughs> um so a side note before we give our own personal reviews this structure of this book i guess we'll go to back to the beginning of what we should have done at the beginning he goes through and so it, everything's based off of a five-star scale but even he he rates like the physical book as we go through. So at the like right when you open the book, every the original two hundred and fifty thousand copies that were printed are all signed by him. So his latest uh, podcast episode, he he reviews signing your name two hundred and fifty thousand times. But at the front of the book, it says on the opposite page you'll find an autograph mine to be exact which i signed with some kind of sharpie while using it on while sitting on the edge of the couch in my basement this sheet of paper was then bound into your copy of the anthropocene reviewed i wanted to sign this book for you in the hopes that it might give you the same little moment of joy that i always feel when i come across a signed book an autograph doesn't mean much i guess it's just a scribble on a page an utterly ineligible scribble in my case but it's the only way I know how to say thank you. Thank you for giving this book a seat at the at the table in your life. I give autographs three and a half stars. And, and just, that's in, he's just the best. There's one on the copyright page. There's one on the half title page. Like I've never read every single page of a book, and here we are. The structure of this book is magnificent, and it's anybody beautiful. who says otherwise can personally fight me. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I have very I strong feelings. I've ever seen you that aggressive before. <laughs> I also another fun thing. I'm so sorry. This this part this episode's a mess. Um, there, John also talks about how there is um two things. One about the signatures. He told a story about how he went to see an author one time and they said that they wouldn't sign his like paperback copy. He had to buy a new one, and so that was like his first experience ever with an author. So now his goal is to give like almost everybody a signed copy so that they can feel that little bit of joy also to devalue his signature as much as possible. (laughs) That's, that's my favorite reasoning ever. (laughs) (laughs) The second thing is there is, if you go to the website, the Anthropocene reviewed.com, it is not a website owned by John. And he said multiple times, he's happy he didn't buy it. Somebody has gone on there and created a map that you can rate and review where you have your copy. You can put in what color Sharpie he used. You can like say whether or not you got a special one where like he added a little doodle or one of his kids added a little doodle. Um, and you can review like a park bench that you're sitting on or just like review the book. It's just amazing. It's so cool. And what other community other than like the nerd fighters that are that's what they're called. Nerd fighters are people who like are part of this like community that John and Hank have created. I feel like only nerd fighters could do that. <laughs> create a whole website <laughs> to like post, but you can see where a bunch of people there's like I think over four thousand books documented on there where people are. So I was able to go to where my like street is. There's a person two miles away that has this book and has reviewed it. Okay, that's actually really cool. Yeah, you can look it up. 
So everybody go on there. You can find it. Read it. Okay, Chelsea. And then review it. Read it and then review it. Chelsea, what did you review from our weekend together? Um, so I did made a little review for um, These are not nearly as good as John's. No, we no didn't one's try. Be as we good. did not yeah. try. <laughs> I reviewed the game Match That Vibe. I don't know if anyone knows what this game is. I'd never heard of it. But Taryn and my little brother Declan and I were driving down to St. George while she was here in Utah. And I was very stressed out. We had just witnessed a dog get hit and killed on the freeway. Oh it was very gosh, traumatic. I forgot about that. I had to pull over for a couple minutes because I was like shaking. It really freaked me out. And I could tell that my little brother Declan could tell I was freaked out. He offered to drive for me because he's super sweet and sensitive like that and I love him um but we kept driving and I he could tell I was being really quiet and in my head and like a little traumatized so he was like we could play match that vibe and I was like what the heck is that he's like so one person will pick a song you listen to the song and then the other people in the car just try and pick another song that matches that vibe like it's not even like what the song is about. It's just it's the about. feel and the vibe of the song. Yeah, yeah. It's just like this super fun. And some people play where you like award points for who matches it best. But we were kind of just playing for like the fun of it. Um, and we ended up playing it the entire next like two hours down to St. George. Um, and it got me out of my head. I was like so stressed about matching the vibe of this song correctly. <laughs> That I was, like, able to let go of that. And I feel like it was really, it was just fun. Like, I feel like that is a memory that I'm always going to cherish of, like, Taryn and Declan and I, like, sitting in the car, driving through the desert, listening to random songs. Like, it it was just really fun for me. And a memory that I know I'm probably going to cherish for a long time. So... I ended up giving Match That Vibe four out of five stars. Oh, look at that. Um, A comment about that really quick to show off for Chelsea. Chelsea can sing the entirety of the song, (laughs) We Didn't Start the Fire. And if you don't think that's impressive, by Billy Joel, if you don't think that's impressive, you need to pull up YouTube right now and listen to that song. I am so incredibly impressed. I wish I had recorded it for that to be like our outro song for the day. Just Kelsey singing that. You know how many times I had to listen to that song before I got all the words down? I would just like put it on repeat in the car when I was driving to and from work for like a full week. And my husband was like, are you not just sick of this song yet? I'm like, no, I'm so close. (laughs) Why did I make a concerted effort to memorize this song? I don't know. Because I could. It's the little things in life. It's the little things in life. You just gotta have a win. And if you're having a hard time winning in other areas, you make up a way to win. And I did. And I won. So <laughs> She did win. And there's no rhyme. Like, there's not really any rhyme or reason to that song. It's just a list of things. And it's so good. Seriously, go I listen to it that. right now. And I then just be song. impressed. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is what I reviewed. I reviewed Night at the Museum 3, Secret of the Tomb. Um, That's what Chelsea and I watched Sunday night. We watched Sunday night. We just gotten back from driving for four hours. And we got Taco Bell because we didn't plan well to get food. And so we were (laughs) were eating Taco Bell on the couch. And Chelsea had never seen the third Night at the Museum movie. Another. I I know. I'm so embarrassed that I hadn't seen it. It probably. I just love came the Night of the Museum like, movies. Yeah. So these are other movies that, like, all of my siblings, we were fine watching them, especially like me and my younger brother. Uh, we just, I love the movies. The first one is brilliant, and then they followed it up with the second one, and it was equally as good. And then the third one, there were some slow spots. I'll be honest, it was not perfect, <laughs> but I love these movies. It has Rebel Wilson in it? This this movie. <laughs> She's hilarious. Um, it's just beautiful, okay? So the reason that I reviewed this is because closer to the end, 
I definitely do not judge me. I definitely way overanalyzed this movie. Okay. I've been thinking about it so much <laughs> since we watched it last week. So at the, this is the last movie that Robin Williams, that was that Robin Williams made before he, um, before passed he passed away. So he was dealing, he was struggling with dementia and severe depression at this point. And he was still, he, this is the last movie that he was able to finish. Um, and I don't know, the last week I've just thinking, been thinking so much about like saying goodbye to people and especially with COVID right now and just so many people that have lost so like significant people in their life. And it's so hard to say goodbye, whether or not you have like a belief in something after this life or not. Um, it's still hard to say goodbye to people. Um, and so at the end of this movie, spoiler alert, I guess, if you haven't seen it, but ultimately Ben Stiller's character decides to leave the tablet of Achman Ra, which is what brings all of the, um, museum things to, or museum exhibits to life. And they leave it in London in a different museum. So that this whole other group of of people and animals and all these different things can experience what they've experienced. Because it's been a few years and all of these museum exhibits are like, it's okay. Like, we've had a great run. It's been fun. But we need to let all of these people have this experience. And we need to let, um, is it, is it Achman Ra? Ra? It is yeah. his tablet. Yeah. We yeah. need to let Achman Ra be with his family. And so he has to say goodbye to all of these people who have become his friends. And I know it sounds dumb because they're like not real people, but (laughs) they've gone on all these adventures and they've been able to establish these relationships. And so they have like one last night together and he's saying bye to, I'm going to cry. Wow. He's saying bye to Teddy Roosevelt, which is Robin Williams character. Gosh, why am I going to cry over this? And um, Teddy looks at him after like saying bye and he says, smile, my boy, it's sunrise. And then he, and then he turns to wax. I cried when we were watching it. I was sobbing. And like partially because like Robin Williams was one of the very few like celebrities who have passed away. Gosh, I need to breathe. That like I actually felt something because like celebrities, like you don't, like I said, you don't actually know them, but he, he was just so happy and had done so much and like he was the genie and all of that different stuff and so it was like oh this is the last movie we're gonna say bye but then it was just um it was just like such a beautiful way to why 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 am i crying so much over this it's a podcast about books guys anyway he says bye and i just thought it was such a beautiful like moving forward and it's so cool because at the end of the movie like, he goes and says bye, and there's, like, a traveling exhibit, and so the tablet actually gets brought back to the like Museum of Natural History. Later. Yeah, it yeah. skips forward. And it shows Teddy smiling <laughs> with Sacagawea on a horse with him, and it was just, to me, it was just this, this beautiful moment of, like, moving forward and letting people, and anyway, just taking this experience that, so, that could be so hard for people saying bye to people that they care about. And just, like, being able to move on and know that they're in a better place. Because that's, that's what we believe. Like, I don't, I don't think that we're just, like, in, in the ground after this. Anyway, there was way too much emotion than you were getting, than you thought you were getting into. I gave the ending of Night of the Museum three five stars. <laughs> because things deserve five stars. Things deserve five stars. Yeah. Yeah. Robin Williams. That was not the plan. I was not planning on like crying through that, guys. But <laughs> I cried really easily. Also, I love Robin Williams. I just thought it was good. Oh, I just, he's done so many iconic movies between like Hook and obviously The Genie, but also like Mrs. Doubtfire, Dead oh, Poet Society, like Goodwill. Oh, that's Hunting. another movie that made me sob. Oh my gosh. Like. I remember the first time I watched Mrs. Doubtfire was with my dad. And I can't remember why, but nobody else was home. It was just my dad and I home that night. And he's like, come on, Chelsea, let's watch a movie. And I was like, 
I was like, okay, like, what should we watch? And we're like scrolling through, and he's like, we should watch Mrs. Doubtfire. And I was like, what is that? I'd never heard of it. And he was like, oh, we're going to watch this. And I just remember sitting there watching it, laughing with my dad. I don't know if he has any recollection of this at all. But it's like one of my fondest memories of like him and I just like sitting on the couch, eating popcorn, watching Mrs. Doubtfire while she's trying to pretend to be the nanny and the dad at the same time because Mm -hmm. anyway it's not relevant but i i feel like robin williams played a larger role in my childhood than he had any right to (laughs) right yes and i think that's why it was it was so hard like when he did um when he did pass away it was just i think the world the world like cried for him we all missed him heartbreaking yeah well Anyway. I don't even know how to end that. Um. Anyway, so that was kind of a heavier ending than I anticipated. I know. I didn't mean it to be heavy. I just mean, like, <laughs> yeah, I thought that the end was so beautiful, and it was just, I think it's, while it death was. can be sad, and, like, moving on can be sad, it can be a beautiful, it can be a beautiful, like, new beginning for other things. I feel like this book is one that makes you stop and think about your life, like, if I was going to write a review of the human experience, the Anthropocene reviewed, if I was going to write this, what would I include? And I feel like for the next like week or so, I've just looked at everything so differently. I found so many things that have played a role in my life that I didn't, I don't feel like I fully appreciated the influence of so many small things in my life. Um, so I highly recommend it. It's entertaining because it's just a series of essays. Um, You can just put it on and if you like zone out for an essay, that's fine because the next one is totally unrelated. Um, And you can just have the book out. Yeah. It's not one that you have to like sit down and read through. You can just, Mm -hmm. I I didn't even read it in order. I just picked it up. I'm like, oh, that one looks interesting. And I would read one of the essays. Yeah. So I, I highly recommend it. Even if you don't read the whole thing, like even if you just go yeah, read two it doesn't or three of the essays, it is worth the money to own this book. I think. Yes. Please read it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've already been here too long. Thanks for listening, everybody. We really do appreciate having you guys here. Um, we're gonna do a different ending today. So one of the things that John Green does on his podcast is at the end of each of the Anthropocene reviewed episodes is he chooses and records a sound that has to do with something that he talked about. So if it's a sunset, it's like him sitting out in the sunset or like playing a game with his kid. And so we recorded a few sound bites while I was with Chelsea. And so today we are going to leave you with the sound of us driving from St. George to back to Provo. Just us chilling in the car. I hope you guys have a wonderful week and appreciate all the wonders of the world around you and we are incredibly grateful for each and every one of you make sure to follow subscribe download all of our episodes all of the things leave us five stars on apple podcasts all the things any any little bit helps it be easier for people to find our podcast so thanks so much guys have a wonderful day